0: Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. So good. Well, again, welcome to Ramp Church this morning. We are so glad that you're here. Chose to spend the morning here together in worship and gathered around the Word of God. One more announcement is that at the end of this month, on January January the 29th, we will be receiving a special offering entitled First Fruits Offering. This is the first time we've done that here at Ramp Church, so it's a First Fruits of the First Fruits for us as well. But Pastor Joe introduced this idea last week, looking at different moments in scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. Well, this concept is very important to God to bring in something At the beginning of the year at the beginning of something and whenever you bring a first fruits offering or do a first fruits act it sanctifies everything else and it's an act of trust in God that regardless of whatever else comes in I know that I have given sacrificially at the beginning in other words I didn't wait till the end of the year see how much came in and then give a little bit extra. No, at the beginning of the year, before I even know what the rest of the year holds, I am making a statement that my trust is in God. So that will be happening at the end of this month, January 29th. We'll be talking a little bit more about this next week on the 22nd to give you a little more of a context or reference point for what First Fruits Offering looks like. That won't be the whole service, the whole message, but we'll do a portion of a focus there. Now. I'm ready to jump into the Word today, and we're going to begin in the book of Ezekiel. Now, if you were here last week, by me saying we're going to begin in the book of Ezekiel isn't a surprise to you, you were probably anticipating it. Because last week we began a chapter here in Ramp Church entitled, God is looking for watchmen. God is looking for watchmen. Last week we introduced the idea of this chapter, so I'm going to recap for just a moment and then go a little further in the content for today. What is the whole concept of God is looking for Watchmen? Well, it came out of an encounter with God that I had in a dream in 2020, June of 2020. In this dream, I'm in the middle of a church service, I won't give you every detail all over again, but just the idea of the dream. In the dream I'm in a church service then all of a sudden a whirlwind shows up and picks me up and everyone else in the room and we all start flying around the room caught in this God whirlwind it was not a negative thing it was a holy thing it was a God thing we're all caught in this whirlwind and toward the end of the dream the whirlwind throws me down and I look at the people around me and I start prophesying and I say this God is looking for watchmen Or cities will be no more. When I said it, I knew there was a lot of sobriety and gravity in my heart that the destiny of cities is dependent upon God finding watchmen in the earth. A few other things happen but I wake up from the dream with this just profound sense that I've got homework to do. I need to go study the book of Ezekiel because Ezekiel was commissioned as a watchman. He encountered the whirlwind and I need to lean in further to what God is saying through this encounter. So what did we talk about last week? We introduced this idea. The call to be a watchman is first and foremost a call to interruptive friendship with God. The call to be a watchman is the call, first and foremost, to interruptive friendship with God. Why do I not just call it friendship with God? Why do I call it interruptive friendship with God? Because the call to be a watchman is not something you just add on to your current lifestyle. It's not just something you kind of include into your current rhythm. The call to be a watchman is interruptive to your current rhythm. And to be a watchman is to step out of your own orbit into God's orbit. It's to allow a whirlwind from God, the storyline of God, the Spirit of God, to rearrange your priorities, Rearrange your worldview. Rearrange your behavior. Rearrange your prayers. Rearrange everything in your life in order to be in rhythm with him. That's why the call of the watchman comes out of the whirlwind. It came out of the whirlwind in my dream. It comes out of the whirlwind in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet encounters God through a fiery whirlwind. and Once the whirlwind drops him down God begins to speak to him about being a watchman. So the first thing we need to understand is that if we're going to say yes to this call, if we're going to consider this call, we've got to be willing to be interrupted. Our schedules, our priorities, our world, everything about us needs to be yielded to God's storyline. But it's not just saying yes to interruption, it's saying yes to interruptive friendship with God. Because the call of the watchman more than anything is a call to be with him. To be with God. You see Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's crucified. And he puts some of his disciples over here and says, hey, I'm going to go pray. But he pulls a few with him, the three that are closest to him. And before he even asked them to pray, he asked them, will you watch with me? Now, God is concerned about the destiny of cities, absolutely. But one of the reasons why God is looking for a watchman is because he himself is a watchman. And he's looking for people who will be friends with him in that vocation. That's why it says in the book of Psalms, unless the Lord... Guards the city. That word guards the city actually means watches over the city. It's it's describing God as a watchman. So it says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. In other words, it is vain for us to try to fulfill the call of being a watchman if it's not coming out of friendship with God. Friendship with God is the place where our vocation is sustained. So the first call of the watchman is a call to interruptive friendship with God. So what am I going to talk about today in this chapter? God is looking for watchmen. I want to talk about six internal qualities of the watchman. So last week was a little more of a preach. This week maybe a little more of a teach. So I want to talk a little bit more about the internal qualities of the watchman and really give us biblical reference points for what it looks like to start putting this into action beyond just willingness. So last week was much more challenging us in the areas of our own willingness. Where we're not willing to be interrupted. Where we're not willing to lean into friendship with God. This week is about more giving us instruction about what do you do next? What are the internal qualities you need to cultivate in order to be a watchman. Now, let me say this. Last week I talked about how God gave me additional confirmations once I woke up from the dream to really emphasize the role of the watchman regarding cities. And I said I would have them this week. I actually think I'm going to save them for next week, Lord willing, because next week we're going to look at more the external side of the watchman. So first we're looking at the call of the watchman. Now today we're looking at the internal world of the watchman. Next week probably more the external world of the watchman. Lord willing, we'll see. We'll get there when we get there. All right, let's go to the book of Ezekiel and we're going to start in chapter 2, toward the end of chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, and as you're turning there, let me give you this first point of six qualities, six internal qualities of the watchman. What's the first quality? Number one, A biblical lens. A biblical lens. In order for the watchman, or the watchwoman, obviously that term is not a gender specific term. It's broadly inclusive of everyone that says yes to the call. So in order for the watchman to watch appropriately, he or she must have a biblical lens. In other words, The watchman just can't see the world through his own natural understanding and interpret it and respond to it the way that he feels best. The watchman will only interpret the world around him properly if he looks at it through a biblical lens. Without a biblical lens, what we see will be distorted. Without a Biblical lens, what we see will be influenced by the spirit of the age, or by our own natural reasoning. You see, in the Word, in the New Testament, we see people responding to Jesus in different ways. One of the ways in which people respond to him was purely out of human reasoning. Many times the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they would do that. Jesus would do something and then they would reason among themselves to try to interpret what they see. And if we look at the world purely through the lens of human reasoning, we will end up in despair, we will end up in deception, and we won't engage as watchmen the way God's called us to engage as as watchmen. We need to see the world through the lens of Scripture. We all, when we look at the world, we all see the same thing, but we, uh, we don't all see the same thing, alright? We, we may all see the same events, watch the same news, see the same circumstances, but we don't all interpret them the same way because we all have a different lens that we see it through. So for us to see the world the way God wants to see us to see the world, we need to have a biblical lens. So that's the first internal quality of the watchman, is a biblical lens. Ezekiel chapter two, starting in verse nine. So Ezekiel is still in the middle of his whirlwind encounter. Halfway through Ezekiel three, the next chapter, the whirlwind then picks him up and throws him down again. But right now we're still in the middle of it, like the fiery whirlwind is still there and God is speaking to him. So Ezekiel writes, Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Notice that. Written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Going into chapter 3. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. It's amazing to me that before God speaks to Ezekiel about being a watchman, he first requires him to eat the scroll. In other words, before I fully release you into a prophetic unction and release your voice to the house of Israel, I need you to get this book down on the inside of you. And one of the reasons why some of us are not operating in a greater measure of prophetic activity is because we don't have a healthy infrastructure of the written word on the inside of us. Listen, I believe in prophetic activity. God wants to speak to you in odd and unusual ways. But if you don't have the lens of scripture on the inside of you, those odd and unusual ways that God speaks to you can lead you down a dangerous path because you won't know what to do with it and so before god says watch he says eat eat this scroll and out of the overflow of this scroll i'm going to speak to you in unusual ways and then you'll cause the children of israel to hear my words not your words ezekiel i don't want you to look at the nation and give them your words on the matter i want you to look at the nation and give them my words on the matter but you can't give them my words if you don't know my words you can't you can't deliver what I'm saying if you have not eaten what I've said okay let's say that again you can't deliver what I'm saying if you haven't eaten what I've said so before he says watch he says eat because he God needs watchmen to have a biblical lens a biblical worldview through which they interpret whatever it is they see. Now it's interesting to me that Ezekiel says that the scroll was sweet as honey. Why did he say it was sweet as honey? Because when I look at the contents of the scroll, it says at the end of chapter 2, on it were written lamentations, mourning, and woe. That doesn't sound like it would be a sweet treat to me, right? That doesn't sound like an afternoon tea type, you know, biscuit to put on the plate. Lamentations, mourning, and woe, but here's what, here's what you begin to, the, the rhythm you start getting into when you start to love the Word of God. Even the bits that are hard to digest are sweet because he said it. Ezekiel was able to be released from God as a watchman because even the lamentation, the mourning and woe still had a sweet taste in his mouth, not because he wanted to see people judge, but because if it came from his mouth, It is good for me to eat. So I want to challenge you in something. I love, listen, I love devotionals and things of that nature that get you in the Word. But you've got to make sure you're stretching yourself outside of just the comfortable bits of Scripture. You need to get into all of it. Genesis to Revelation. Pastor Stacy quotes this all the time, and I love this verse. How the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts looked at the elders in uh, Ephesus, I believe. In Acts 20 and he says I did not shrink back from giving to you the whole counsel of God we need the whole counsel of God the parts that we don't understand questions come up in my family all the time like why is this in the Bible and I say I don't know that's a bit of a puzzle to me and you've got to learn to live with the tensions of Scripture because even the parts that are hard to digest are sweet to eat because God said it. So that's number one, a biblical lens. That's the first internal quality of the watchman. Number two, the second internal quality of the watchman, a prophetic sensitivity. Number one is a biblical lens. Number two is a prophetic sensitivity. And For this one we're gonna look at Ezekiel chapter three starting in verse 22. So we're going now to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 22. You need, if you're going to be a watchman, you need a prophetic sensitivity. Now, it may not be this way in, in British culture. It's certainly this way in American culture. Whenever the idea of the watchman comes up, sometimes people assume that their responsibility is to become obsessed with the news and then become a social media commentator on whatever's going on in the world. It's like, I have a responsibility to give my commentary on everything that happens because I'm a watchman like that kind of idea is in the mix again culturally maybe not so much here I don't know but what i want to say is to be a watchman is not primarily to it's not primarily about being uh, like up to speed and informed about all the cultural trends and make sure you have something to say about it Being a watchman is about friendship with God and giving Him your eyes and ears and responding to what God says to you cultivating a prophetic sensitivity. And yes, he wants you informed and aware of the world that you live in, but if you try to respond to the world you live in it live in without getting what God says about the world you live in, again, you're gonna be responding out of human reasoning, not thus saith the Lord, and you're not being a watchman, you're being a commentator. I don't wanna just comment on what's happening around us. I wanna change what's happening around us by releasing the word of the Lord. So let's look at this in the life of Ezekiel. Before God tells him to watch, he tells him to eat because he needed a biblical lens. Then he gives him at the beginning, you know halfway through Ezekiel 3, then he speaks about being a watchman. Now in Ezekiel 3, 22 God gives him further instruction about that. Now the first The part we're skipping is a really important part, verses 16 through 21 of the watchman. We may look at that next week, the vocal responsibility of the watchman, to warn, to release, to pray, all of that stuff. So we may come back to that later, but today we're looking at the internal quality. So let's go to verse 22. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Kabar, and I fell on my face. In other words, the whirlwind came back. What's the glory that came by the river? When he fell on his face, it was the glory that came in the fiery whirlwind. So Ezekiel didn't encounter the whirlwind just one time. It came over again and again and again. Because to be a watchman is to be interrupted again and again and again and again by the agenda of God. So the whirlwind comes back again. Verse 24. Then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, Go Shut yourself inside your house, and you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them, so that you cannot go out among them. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. Now let's pause there. We're going to read the rest of the the chapter, which is one more verse, but let's just ponder that. He says, okay, I've called you to be a watchman, so go into your house and shut yourself in there. They're gonna tie you up. Who are they? I don't know, maybe the angels. But He says, they're gonna tie you up. I'm gonna make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth. This doesn't seem to make sense if you read the passage right before it, because God just told Ezekiel, when I give you a word, make sure you speak the word or their blood is on your hands. So this is like, uh, God, this doesn't seem to be matching up. You're telling Ezekiel, go into your house, Somebody's gonna tie you up, I'm gonna shut your mouth, and your tongue is gonna cling to the roof of your mouth so that you don't rebuke the children of Israel for their rebellious house. Now, if you read the rest of Ezekiel, I'm not sure how to fit this in because Ezekiel does a lot of rebuking, like a whole lot. And so, like, taking this verse by itself doesn't make a lot of sense until you read the next verse. Verse 27, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who hears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. Here's God's point to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, go into your house. We're going to tie you up. I'm going to shut your mouth. Why? Because I don't want you to rebuke them based upon what you see in the natural realm. Because if I don't shut you down and shut you up, you're going to rebuke them based upon what you see. Now you can rebuke them, but only if I give you the word to rebuke them with. You can prophesy, but only if I give you the word to prophesy. In other words, to be a watchman is to have a disciplined silence until God speaks. Wow, so good. Prophetic sensitivity is not about always having something to say. It's about knowing how to wait on the Lord. Right after I had this dream, I felt honestly a little intimidated by it, especially the prophetic component of the watch. And I'm like, Lord, especially in 2020. I mean, the whole world's going crazy. Every nation is shut down. And there's a lot of social commentary going on around in the church, trying to explain what's happening, what's going on. And I'm like, Lord, I, I don't know. And the Lord comforted my heart by giving me instruction. here's what he said to me. To be prophetic is not to be omniscient. To be prophetic is to hear what I'm saying to you. And that really shifted my understanding of what the prophetic is. Sometimes we think to have prophetic sensitivity means you have something to say about everything. No prophetic sensitivity is to know how to be quiet until God gives you clarity and revelation in the areas that he's called you to speak into. And sometimes you may be an Isaiah that writes 66 chapters. Sometimes you may be an Obadiah that hardly any of us have read lately. But you get a handful of verses that you know God gave you. And if you're an Obadiah, be an Obadiah and be okay with it. Don't spend your whole life trying to be an Isaiah, if you're not called to be an Isaiah. Be an Obadiah. Is, so it's not about the amount of prophetic activity coming out of you. It's a, it's, that's why the foundation of this is friendship with God. It's waiting. It's listening. It's God. It's, I want to be with you. And If you're talking, then wonderful. If you're not talking, I still want to be with you. So cultivating prophetic sensitivity is not about always being vocal. It's about learning how to listen, so that way you're not responding out of your own soul, but you're responding out of his spirit. So that's the second internal quality of the watchman. The third internal quality of the watchman is an intercessory heart. I love this one, an intercessory heart. So first you have a biblical lens, second you have a prophetic sensitivity, third you have an intercessory heart, so that when God reveals to you something concerning cities, your initial reaction, your initial gut reaction is to labor in prayer about it. To agree with him concerning promises and to plead with him if he reveals judgment. To appeal to his mercy if that's what's on the horizon. And way too often, the moment we start operating in a level of prophetic sensitivity, we feel the need to use it for our name or something. Like we, we don't be known for talking, but But the the first response of the watchman when they see something is not to publish it with their name attached. It's to respond in prayer and take on an intercessory posture to say, God, concerning cities, I agree with you concerning your promises and I appeal with you concerning your judgment. I'm appealing to your mercy. How do we know that? Because throughout the word we see different watchmen, different prophets responding to God in intercessory ways. There there is no prophet in scripture who prophesied judgment detached from tears. Actually there may be one, I'll maybe bring him up in just a moment. There's no prophet in scripture who prophesied judgment detached from tears. If they prophesied judgment, they did it through tears because Impending judgment broke their hearts because it engaged them in intercession first. The exception may be Jonah, who prophesied judgment detached from tears, and the book ends with God basically rebuking Jonah. Why? Because he had a prophetic sensitivity, but without a heart of intercession. He heard something over a city, but it did not engage him in prayer. So he released what was coming, and then was angry when they repented and the judgment didn't come. And God has to speak to him about where his heart is. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But our heart for cities. So the third quality of the watchman is an intercessory heart. So for this I'm gonna to go to Genesis. You don't have to turn from Ezekiel. Well I'm, I'm not, for, yeah I'm gonna go there. Let's go to, uh, I'm gonna to go to Genesis chapter 18. And I want to look at a moment in the life of Abraham. We don't typically think of Abraham as a watchman, but in this moment he becomes a watchman for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But it begins in friendship with God. During prayer this morning before service, um, Jen read out a scripture about how the counsel of the Lord or the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. I love that. So when God gives you secret counsel, it's a sign of a, of a relational position that you're in with Him. Because He only gives a secret counsel to His friends, to those who fear Him. Right? That's why Jesus said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. For a master doesn't tell his servants what he's doing. In other words, the fact that I'm telling you what I'm doing right now, giving you access to a prophetic realm, is a sign that you're in a new place of friendship with me. So this begins Abraham becoming a watchman, it begins in a conversational, friendship, relational moment. I said that kind of awkwardly, but all right. Genesis 18, 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? What a question. (laughs) Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? The answer he's asking himself, he's asking the angels that are with him. And the answer ends up being no. I'm not gonna hide from him. And like, what if God asked that question about us? Can I hide from him? Can I hide from her what I'm doing? I can't. We're too close in friendship for me to do something that big and not let them know about it. It's like, it's like, you know, when Delane and I were preparing to make our move to Manchester, before we made public announcements, there were certain relationships that we honored, so we needed to have private conversations first. Why? We couldn't do something publicly without letting our friends know privately. And God interacts in the same way. Before he does something publicly he pulls his friends aside privately and lets them know what's coming. And invites them to be a part of it. So God here says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And of course the answer ends up being no. So he talks to Abraham about about this reality that they are going down to assess the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and if the outcry against them is true then they were going they are going to destroy the city. But watch how Abraham responds down in verse 22. Then the men turned away from there, so the men who were accompanying the Lord, most likely angels, they turned away to go towards Sodom. So the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And this idea of standing still, he stood before the Lord, that is an intercessory posture. We know that because the conversation that comes out of this is Abraham then appealing to God's mercy and contending with God to spare the city. And God agrees with Abraham's terms. So in in a sense, Abraham did effectively change the destiny of Sodom and Gomorrah. However, because God did not find ten righteous, the city was destroyed. Had He found ten righteous, the city would have been spared because of Abraham's intercession. So the, the, the question is when God brings us into His counsel, how do we respond? Do we respond like Abraham by standing before the Lord in intercession, in appeal, or do we just sort of like Jonah go on about our way because we're disconnected from the heart of God? You see, it's one thing to have the counsel of God. It's another thing to have the counsel of God and the heart of God. Having the heart of God is what drives you in intercession once you gain the counsel of God and to be a watchman is not just to see what's coming on the horizon to be a watchman is to see what's coming but to be so united with God in heart that you turn what's coming into intercession all right so that's the second thing I, I could go to Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 jot down that reference for later Ezekiel twenty-two, thirty. God is say God had just talked about judgment I won't go into the whole context but basically he's saying For Jerusalem, I looked for someone who would stand before me. In other words, I was looking for someone to be Abraham on behalf of Jerusalem, but I found no one. In other words, it's not that no one saw what was coming. It's that no one cared enough to stand before me when they saw what was coming. And this is the call of the watchman. We need a biblical lens. We need a prophetic sensitivity. We need a heart of intercession. Number three, what's the third internal quality of the watchman? Love for cities. We need love for cities. Again, going back, and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 62 to look at this one. But going back to our Jonah reference, Jonah prophesied to a city he did not love. Therefore, he ha- had the Lord's counsel about the city, but not the Lord's heart. And when they repented, he was not happy about it. And I wanna I want make sure that as we grow in our prophetic sensitivity, we don't prophesy to cities that we don't actually love. Because having the Lord's counsel, but not having the Lord's heart doesn't put us in rhythm with God. Being a watchman is about growing in our unity with God's heart our rhythm and intercession, our passion for souls, seeing people get saved, it's it's, it's the whole package. So yes, we need the biblical lens, yes, we need prophetic sensitivity, yes, we need a heart of intercession, and all of that, that intercessory heart is fueled by a love for cities. God wants to give you a supernatural love for the city that you are called to. He wants to give you a supernatural love for this city, for Manchester, and He wants to give you a supernatural love for cities that you don't know about yet. Because to be a watchman, yes, is to be planted in your own city, but it's also to be open for the heart of God concerning other cities that you may not be in geographically. Ezekiel was a watchman for Jerusalem, but he didn't live in Jerusalem. He probably lived there as a child, but he was taken away into Babylonian captivity. And God repeatedly took him back to Jerusalem in the whirlwind, but as far as I know, he never went back there separated from going back in the spirit. And are you available enough to be a watchman for a city you've never been to? Are you available enough to weep tears for people you've never met? Are you open enough to the heart of God where you're able to get beyond the natural realm and natural preferences and He can break you for a people that are very different than you? Because this is the call of the watchman. It is a call to love cities, love your city, love this city, love Manchester. But God also has other cities He wants to talk to you about. Isaiah chapter 62, we're going to start at verses 6 and 7 and then go back to the beginning. I love Isaiah 62. It's, it's a chapter I think about regularly, weekly, if not daily, and because it gives a lot of context for what it means to be a watchman, specifically what it looks like to be a watchman for Jerusalem, but it gives a lot of context overall for what it looks like to be a watchman. So, if you're wanting to, if you're wanting some homework, where do I go and where do I grow? Jump into Isaiah 62. Just jump in the book of Ezekiel in general. There's a lot to digest there. But Isaiah 62 is a great place to go to learn about being a watchman. So let's look at Isaiah 62, verses six and seven. These These may be the two most famous watchman verses in the whole Bible. So Isaiah 62, six and seven. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. What are they doing there? Set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. What are they doing? the watchmen of Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. So in this verse, they're not just watching, they're praying, they're intercession, they're, they're, they're an intercessory company. So yes, they're looking on the horizon prophetically and in the natural, but they're not just looking, they're praying about what they see. I have said, watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. And then I love verse 7. And give him no rest. Give who no rest? God no rest. In other words, watchmen are called to love cities so deeply that they agitate God with their prayers over the cities. They begin to annoy God. They begin to give God no rest, because they love the city they're assigned to. And they cry out day and night until he does something on behalf of the city. Give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now where does this constant intercessory company come from? What is their motivation? Go back to verse verse number one. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. So the watchmen intercede day and night because they love the city of Jerusalem and they love its poetic name Zion. And because they love the city, they cry out day and night until her destiny is fulfilled. What if that became a, descript, a description of your relationship with Manchester? of your relationship with the other cities that God assigns to you, of your relationship with Jerusalem, that you begin to love these cities so deeply that you agitate God with your constant intercession. You agitate God with your your contending over the city, saying, God, but you said. But you said, but you said, but you said this concerning the city. And where the city has gone astray, God, mercy, forgiveness. You see, to be a watchman for cities and to love cities doesn't mean you sugarcoat their faults or their conditions. You see that in, in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, like Ezekiel, is in Babylonian captivity, but he's acting as a watchman for the city of Jerusalem. That's why three times a day he prays toward the city of Jerusalem. Because he's a watchman for a city that, he's in, that he is not in. So Daniel is praying concerning Jerusalem. He realizes it's time for the prophetic word from Jeremiah to be fulfilled concerning the city. And what does he do? He begins to repent over Jerusalem's faults. He doesn't just say, God, Jerusalem has destiny. He says, God, Jerusalem has sin, but in your mercy will you forgive the sin and fulfill the destiny. That's what we do as watchmen. We see it all. We see the promises. We see the prophecies. We see the sins. We see the faults. And we turn all of it into a heart of intercession. And out of the heart of intercession, you then begin to release the message God's given you. So, Isaiah 62 For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Now, let's go to verses 4 and 5. I love these, and it really brings into focus the heart of the watchman that is actually beating with God's heart for cities. I say agitate God with your prayers. Of course, we know that in a better metaphorical sense. You're not actually agitating God. He likes it. He invites you to annoy Him. He likes it when you do that. He wants you to bother Him with His own promises. It shows that you believe them. When my kids keep bothering me with what I said we would do, it's because they actually believed me when I said we would do it. And so when we bother God with His own promises, it's a sign that we actually believe His promises. But this heart of the watchman, it's not a natural, soulish thing. And this is something really important for us as we consider love for cities. It's not, okay, on a map, what city do I like? What has the best climate? What has the best medium income? What has the best schools? That's not how you go about your watchman assignment. The way you go about it is what, from a spirit realm, what has captivated your heart that is already in the heart of God concerning cities, and then living in response to that. It's not looking at cities in a natural realm and trying to find reasons why you should love that city. It's it's initiated from a different place. Actually, if you go that route, then you may end up in places God hasn't called you to be. It's much more, God, what, what, what in your heart is meant to arrest my heart? And so verses four and five, Show us how it is God's love for Jerusalem that has baptized the watchman's heart in love for Jerusalem. So here's what it says, verses four and five. Speaking to Jerusalem, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. Your name will be my delight is in her and your land Beulah, which means married. Your, the, your new name, Jerusalem, will be my delight is in you, and you will be called married. Why is that so significant? Because, honestly, Jerusalem went through a great divorce. Ezekiel sees it; the glory of God departs from the city. But God says, though there has been a divorce, there's going to be a marriage. That's why in the book of Revelation, John looks up and sees a city coming down. And it's not just called New Jerusalem, it's called the Bride of Christ. Because that which was divorced is getting remarried again. That's a whole nother teaching, we're getting distracted there. Beulah, you shall be called married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. So verse 4 is talking about the passion of God for Jerusalem, the passion of God for the city. You're going to be called married because God delights in you, and you shall be married. But verse 5 shows us how the passion of God for the city actually gets manifested. So verse 4 is the promise, your name will be, my delight is in you, your name will be married, and then verse 5 tells us how that plays out. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Okay, so the end of verse five is telling us the ultimate destiny of Jerusalem. God will rejoice over her as a husband. But what comes first, before God rejoices over her as a husband, look at this, your sons shall marry you. In other words, The watchmen are the forerunners to the God-visitation. When watchmen, when the sons of the city, begin to burn with God's passion for the city, it is through their intercessory love that God then begins to release His heart over the city, and He begins to do what only He can do regarding the city in fulfilling their promises. Do you see that? Verse 4, here are the promises. Verse 5, here's how it's going to happen. Before I marry you, your sons are going to marry you, Jerusalem. And because your sons will start to marry you, then God will come in through their love and He'll do something in your midst that is unthinkable. What if we began to be with not a natural love for Manchester, but a supernatural love from God for this city? What if we begin to long for her destiny the way God longs for her destiny? What if we begin to long for her souls the way God longs for her souls? What if the sons of the city, you may be a transplant to the city, you may have grown up from this city, but what if the sons of the city, whether transplant or or homegrown, what if we began to marry the city with a passion from God's heart that released revival? So we got to have love for cities It's part of the internal quality of the watchman. Again, if we have intercessory, I'm sorry, if we have prophetic access without having a love for the city, then we will end up being Jonah rather than Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the rest of the prophets. And I don't want to just have a word for a city, I want to weep for a city that I have a word for. Okay? So, these are the internal qualities over the first, I don't know, what are we on, for? Okay, so we got two more. We need a biblical lens. We need prophetic sensitivity. We need an intercessory heart. We need love for cities. Number five, we need sustained focus. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 40. So number five is sustained focus. The watchman needs sustained focus. By the way, I just wanna, I want to recognize the blazing sun behind me. I know you're fighting through it as it's coming in and out of clouds. I appreciate you doing that. I'm feeling the heat increase on my back as we speak, and I just want to I want to just recognize your sacrifice this morning. Thank you, thank you for doing that. Um, those rare those rare Sunday mornings where the sun comes out, we we experience it. <clears throat> so. Ezekiel 40, verse four. Now, if you just think about watchmen in just a very natural responsibility sense, they have to maintain a level of vigilance through very boring, boring hours. Most of the time, a watchman, like a security force for a city, if you think of ancient times, a security force for a city, they're they're just posted on a wall, and they're just watching. They're just looking. Most of the time at nothing but they're there, so that when something comes, they're ready, and they can prepare the city based upon what they see. That's uh, uh, Maybe we'll get to that next week, preparing others based upon what you see. So they prepare the city based upon what they see, but most of the time they probably don't see anything. And they've got to fight to have a level of sustained focus in their vocation, even when it's boring, even when they would probably rather be doing other things. And other people's vocation probably looks more exciting. And so to be watchmen is about having a sustained focus in our area of vocation. To have a sustained focus in our arena of assignment. That when God gives us a city, regardless of other people's interest level or, or disgust or whatever, we, you stay sustained in that area. Because it's very tempting when there's not a lot happening to break your area of focus and look other places. But to be a watchman is to know how to have what I said earlier, discipline, silence even in the face of boredom <laughs> yeah. and waiting, and I don't know what God's saying, and that's okay, but I'm here on the wall the moment He wants to say something, all right? So Ezekiel chapter 40, verse number four. And the man said to me, so you, know, you get all these prophetic people involved. You got angels, you got men, you got living creatures, you got whirlwinds. Ezekiel's is just a fascinating book. So some kind of man is talking to Ezekiel from another realm. And the man said to me, son of man, I love this. Look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you for you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything that you see. Now, let me go back to the beginning of the verse. I love these three instructions. Look with your eyes, hear with your ears, and fix your mind on everything I show you. Look with your eyes, hear with your ears, and fix your mind, fix your heart on everything I show you. In other words, Ezekiel, it's gonna be tempting to see something in a prophetic realm, make a note of it, but then just move on like we talked about last week, as though nothing happened. And you don't get the full fruit of the thing until you have sustained focus in the thing. You you won't get the full, the, the richness of this assignment, of this vocation released, until you're willing to not just glance at it, but to look at it and keep looking at it. To listen and keep listening. To fix your mind, fix your heart upon the thing. You know, many of you know that part of our prophetic storyline is, is a relationship, a connection with the nation of Israel. We're still trying to figure that out, just to be honest, the understanding of it. But I had gone to Israel a couple of times in 2018, and uh, toward the end of that year, we moved into a new house in Hamilton, and we were getting settled there, and so my attention was not quite on Israel for, for several, a couple of months probably, as we moved in. Well, I remember one day I was in the in the backyard, the back garden. We were pr- I was praying, and as I was praying, the Lord just spoke to me very clearly. I, I was out there one day, just you know, with the Lord, and out of nowhere, I hear, hear the Lord say to me, "I'm not done talking to you about Israel yet." And it kind of shocked me because it's like I had had a couple of trips, a couple of moments, and you know that's cool, going about my life but it's like the Lord had to bring me back to an area of assignment. And what are those things that you heard God say at one time, but didn't realize that He's not done talking to you about that thing yet? Well those areas where you need to not just look, but keep looking. Hear, but but not just hear, but keep hearing. Where do you need to fix your heart and your mind? On things God's showing you. Because you many times don't see the full thing until you endure through the boring seasons of not hearing anything, but you fight for sustained focus. All right. Fight for sustained focus. Now, seemed like there was one more thing I was gonna say there, but the Lord will bring it back if he needs to. Okay. Now, that was number five. Let's go to number six. The sixth internal quality of being a watchman. Number six. Consecrated eyes. Consecrated eyes. So we need a Biblical lens. We need prophetic sensitivity. We need an intercessory heart. We need a love for cities. We need sustained focus. And we need consecrated eyes. The, the primary uh, member of the body, engaged in the watchman vocation, of course, is the eye. Thus, the watchman has to be very careful over how he uses his eyes. The watchman has to be very vigilant to guard his eye-gate for the sake of communion and for the sake of vocation, all right. So let me say that statement again. The watchman has to be very vigilant over his eye gate. For the sake of communion, and for the sake of vocation. Now, to talk about this emblem of the watchman, let me go to Ezekiel forty-four. This will be the last passage we read. Ezekiel forty-four, verses one through three. Now. This is a, just a really amazing passage in extended chapters here that, that close out the book of Ezekiel. Of Ezekiel scene, a new temple, a new city, all centered there in Jerusalem. But there is also application for us as the church because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you see descriptions of the temple, yes there is an ultimate manifestation of that. There's also a present application of that, all right? So having said that, let's read Ezekiel 44 and consider how watchmen have to have consecrated eyes. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces toward the east, but it was shut. So they go to the eastern gate of the sanctuary and the gate is shut. Ezekiel must be thinking, why is this gate shut? All the other gates are open. Why is the eastern gate shut? Verse two, and the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. Now we plan to read verse three, but let's consider verse two. Why is it shut? Because the Lord used that gate. In other words, this gate is now a holy gate because God has used it. And because this gate is a holy gate, it is not accessible to everyone else. I just talked about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. What if you begin to treat your eyes in that way? God uses this gate. I can't compromise and use it for anything I want to. It's not a common gate. These are not common eyes. These are watchmen eyes. And I can't just watch whatever I want to, look at whatever I want to, and expect God to keep using this gate to show me things. This is the Lord's gate, therefore it shall be shut. So when temptation comes knocking on your door to get your eyes to look at things that they shouldn't, you ought to respond, the gate is shut, for this is the Lord's gate. My eyes can't look in that direction, because these are watchman eyes, and they're reserved for him. Lord spoke to me profoundly through this passage several years ago about my eyes, my ears, and my mind, and said, those are gateways that I use in your life. They must be shut to everything else. Everything else of the world, everything else of compromise, everything else of sin, those gates must be shut because they're my gates. And if I use them, The moment I use it, it sanctifies it, and it ought not be used for other things. Are your eyes consecrated for Him? Or are your eye gates open for anything else? Let's go to verse 3. Because I said a moment ago, the watchman must be vigilant to guard his eye gates, eye gate or gates, for the sake of communion and vocation. Now what's interesting about Ezekiel 44, these handful of verses, is that the gate is shut, but it makes one exception for how the gate can be used. The eastern gate is shut because it's the Lord's gate, but then in verse 3 it adds this exception, which I'm very intrigued by. Here's what it says. As for the prince, so is the prince, is it Jesus, some other future king, it's a good question. As for the prince, we won't answer that right now. (laughs) Because he is the prince, he may sit in it, may sit in what? May sit in the eastern gate, the gate that is shut, because the Lord used it. But as for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. In other words, here's what it's saying. This gate is shut except when the prince wants to come and use it for communion, to eat bread. What if your gate was shut? except for the purposes of communion and vocation. I'm sorry these gates are shut. I can't share them with the world. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about walking around with your eyes closed all the time. What I'm talking about is a vigilance over the kinds of content that you allow your eyes to see. A vigilance to make sure your eyes Are protected from worldly things so you can behold heavenly things. I just remembered the thing I was gonna say on point five that just came back, thank you Lord, is for this moment. You know John, over and over and over, one of the most repeated words in the book of Revelation is the word behold. He doesn't just say it once or twice, it's like every time you turn he says, I looked and behold. I looked and behold. I looked and behold. What is he doing? He's describing the level of sustained focus that he has. He didn't just look, he looked and beheld. But he's not just describing the level of sustained focus he had, he's describing what God wants to show you. Because he doesn't just say, I looked, and then he describes what he sees. He's saying, I looked and behold. In other words, I saw something, and God wants to show you the same thing. Why do you consecrate your eyes? Why do you protect your eyes? Because God wants to use your eyes as an access point into your life. He wants to show you things that draw you deeper into communion, and He wants to show you things that will initiate a lifestyle of intercession for the sake of cities. God is looking for watchmen in order to say, yes, we must embrace interruptive friendship with God. And we must allow these six qualities to grow in our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand on our feet today. I'm going to ask our prayer team to move into place. The band is going to join me up here. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you ain't go ahead and stand on your feet. Today, like I said, I know today was more of a teach than a preach, and there's a lot to digest, a lot to think about, like to go home and begin to um, do some homework on. Areas to study, things to adjust in your life, i encourage you to do that, but I do want to take a moment here at the end as the team plays and as the team sings to say yes to the Lord's invitation right where you are. And while we do that corporately, there may be people here today that you're facing some some situations or some things in your life that you want agreement for you want prayer over we would love to pray with you right over here to your left we have a prayer team set up and while we sing and worship for the last few moments they would love to meet you connect with you pray with you uh, whatever area that may be but I just want to go back to the heart of this and let you know the reason why God is giving us this kind of word is because he wants you each of you in a deeper place of relationship with Him. Regardless of where you are on the spectrum, you may be here today and you may not be walking with God in any way. You may not be what we would consider a person of faith. You don't even believe in God. I want to let you know that God is a relational God. And He's not looking for just servants to serve Him. He's looking for men and women who will say yes to friendship with Him. That may be a foreign concept to you. Say, friendship with God, how is that possible? It is possible through through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus removes all sin, and because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. Reconciliation means you take people who were enemies and you make them friends. If that's you today, and you'd like to draw closer to God in relationship, Somebody on our prayer team would love to pray with you, love to meet with you, and just lead you through that process of prayer to say, God, I wanna be friends with you. So that team's available, but as we close today, let's all take a moment of just recognition of the Lord, recognition of his goodness, and just an open-hearted response to his invitation. So right where you are, but let's begin to pray. So Father, today, we thank you for your word that is calling us closer. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for your word that is drawing us to be united with you in mind and in heart and passion Lord, we want to beat with your heart for cities Lord, we don't want to be just so caught in our own world our own thing that we're not looking beyond ourselves to 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 the agenda that is burning on the inside of you but Lord we want to be interrupted with who you are so Lord in each of these areas where we need to grow all of us we need to grow in each of these six areas we say yes to this Lord. we say yes to greater greater digesting the word of God a greater hunger for the word of God Lord we ask that you would give us that greater prophetic sensitivity we want to have access to your heart Lord, we ask that you would give us, Lord, a greater heart of intercession, of prayer. Forgive us for our absenteeism in the place of prayer. Lord, we want to be right there with you, responding to your heart. God, give us your love for cities. We want to burn with your passion. And Lord, we say yes to sustained focus. Forgive us for being so easily distracted, going from one thing to the other, to the next, to the next. Lord, we want to have sustained focus in your presence, and Lord, we say yes to having consecrated eyes. Forgive us, Lord, for letting so many other things have access to our eye gates. Lord, we want watchman eyes. (laughs) Eyes reserved for communion and vocation. Eyes reserved for you and the things that you want to show us. Lord, like John, we want to look and we want to behold. We wanna see things and we wanna linger until we get the full impact that you're trying to release into our hearts. In Jesus' name.